Ignite your curiosity with Austin next. We're watching Austin transform from a thriving ecosystem into a global superstar. With our host, Jason Scharf, we aspire to better comprehend the true nature of innovation. Together, we will uncover what makes a successful ecosystem and navigate the technologies shaping our future. Now let's dive into what's next. One of the superpowers of Austin is that we're living in the future. This has a double meaning, both that we're inventing the future and that it's being deployed here in Central Texas. Part of that invention and deployment aims directly at one of our challenges, infrastructure. We're joined today by Jeff Deku, founder and CEO of the Autonomy Institute. Prior to founding the Institute, Jeff was CEO and founder of Hangar, the world's first robotics-as-a-system data acquisition platform. His focus over the last 30 years has been on high-tech industries and enhancing business productivity through automation. Jeff has multiple successful exits and multiple patents. The Autonomy Institute was launched in 2018 as a nonprofit consortium of over 100 industry, government, and academic organizations. It's focused on accelerating the path to commerce for intelligent infrastructure and autonomous systems to foster both social and economic transformation in cities. The Institute collaborates with large infrastructure investors on the creation of public-private partnership programs. The first of these early deployments are right here in Austin, and that's where we start our conversation. Jeff, welcome and thanks for joining us on the Austin Next podcast. Well, wonderful. Great to be here. I love the whole concept of Austin Next because I think Austin is the epicenter of the future, and I think programming like yours is going to be vital to make it happen. Thank you. Appreciate that. Let's talk about the programs that the Autonomy Institute is working on. You've often described the new infrastructure you're supporting as the backbone and equivalent to either the electrification of America 110 years ago or the Interstate Highway Project from the 50s and 60s. Give me some general background on intelligent infrastructure, why it's needed, what it looks like, and how it's going to be deployed. So that's at the heart of the entire push we've been working on for the last four years. So I'd say the, the key thing I'd, I'd actually throw out, which is kind of counter to what a lot of people think, is this is far more about public-private partnerships in real estate than it is about technology. And um, if you think about in the past, I think all of us understand infrastructure from the standpoint of roads, bridges, dams, ports, um, transmission, you know, grids. Um, but now it's intelligent infrastructure. And of course, a lot of people say, well, what the hell is intelligent infrastructure? So kind of going back to how we got to this point four years ago, we were working on this is I've been in the tech industry for over 30 years, and I've seen many evolutions of technology you know, from hardware and software. And we've gone, you know, I've seen the transitions from mainframe to PCs to, you know, data centers that basically helped, you know, the, the internet explode all the way back to the hyperscale you know, service providers and things like smartphones and IoT devices. We're now at the inflection point where it became clear to us to get a lot of the things that we were focused on, like getting autonomous shuttles and cars and drones and just faster and better and more responsive cities, it required an infrastructure on the sidewalk. Because we were talking about, we have to merge the physical and digital worlds together. And that became the, the challenge is because without a new shift of thinking about how this was going to you know, take place. We're going around strapping, bolting, attaching all kinds of little devices on wood poles. And it um, was very obvious that was not the way 
in order for us to solve the long-term um, aspects of, of infrastructure, especially for the 21st century. And also it became clear that we were falling behind other nation states like China. They were very aggressively pursuing and adopting things like you know 5G at the edge. So intelligent infrastructure is about like, how do we get technology on the sidewalk and how do we make it where it can easily be upgraded, managed um, over time? And how do we make it where it's still open to the American way, which is allowing competition and commerce to take place? So there's a, there's a lot to unpack there. And I, I want to go a little bit deeper into the role of the Autonomy Institute. You've mentioned you're not building this stuff. It's a function of creating the partnerships. Yes. And so it'd be good to understand a little bit more about buildouts too, because I think when people think about intelligent infrastructure, they have a hard time understanding. But I think it's the same thing is if you go back in time, believe it or not, it took seven years for Thomas Edison to convince people this thing called electricity was going to be beneficial to society. And I think all of us would agree that that was a, a, a invention and, and something that everybody wanted to have within our communities. The other thing that we kind of point to is Eisenhower. It took five years for Eisenhower to convince the, the world or really the nation that interstate highways were going to be beneficial. And it was very different than the way we were just building roads you know, during the, the day. And the Autonomy Institute is focused on how do we work with the collaborators? Because we know this is, this is a huge challenge. This is not something that any one industry partner can do, or even a group of industry partners. It has to be um, collaborative of government and the community to embrace the, the build out of this infrastructure within, whether it be a city or down a corridor with, or within you know, communities. And the best word we use for the Autonomy Institute is, is the catalyst, is we're trying to be the catalyst that actually pushes this and works with industry partners to make it happen. I want to ask you a question, because in a sense, this looks like a lot of how we have developed in the, the tech industry. When I was a kid, everything was mainframe. Yep. And then we had, you know, digital and then the IBM PC, and now we have microchips and everything. But at the same time, we've kind of flowed back into the large data centers to do the bulk of the work. And we have sensors and computers on the edge. When I worked for a large aerospace company, they were doing consulting on intelligent roadways and their idea of an intelligent roadway of smart infrastructure, if you will, was to put everything into the road and very, very little, if anything, onto the car. Now this sounds like... Well, complete opposite. <laughs> yes. Now we have autonomous vehicles level one, two, and three, and we have those little delivery robots running around the streets of Austin, and we haven't done anything to the roadways yet. But with the intelligent infrastructure system that you're talking about, we're kind of sliding back into a better balance of stuff on the edge and in the centralized kind of units. How does that look to you in terms of where we're headed and what's needed to be done? Well, your observation is correct. And it's mainly because you had the experience of the um, aerospace industry because the aerospace industry looks at what's happening in like autonomous cars and trucks. And there's like, we know where that goes. They they know it. It's not it's not an answer to the to the the challenge, because you have to have a combination. It's not all on the vehicle, and it's certainly not all on the infrastructure. But without infrastructure, you're not going to have orchestration and collaboration and really solve the challenges we really do have as a nation. Because without 
you know, going into any details, I mean, we have multiple technologies that really have to be on the sidewalk, you know, so we're talking right about right, right now about transportation, but the USDOT was given the 5.9 gigahertz spectrum, which were, is basically about safety and risk mitigation at the edge for Vision Zero 20 years ago. And the cost and economics of deploying that was not feasible for the US government to sustain. It's the same challenge that we have with the carriers with 5G, the same challenge of how to get terrestrial GPS um, to be a backup to you know, what's you know, taking place with GPS satellites in, in space. It's the same challenge we have on getting edge computing to allow some of these really rich applications for AR, VR that will spawn an entirely new set of applications and services we can't even think about you know, today. And that infrastructure supports all that. And it's, uh, the, the reason it's been a challenge is because it's not just one industry that wants to embrace it. It's multiple. And um, you, you kind of have to herd the cats together to realize if we don't come together, we're not going to have the roadways that allow all of us to succeed with the businesses that we want. It's an interesting point when you talk about the multiple industries, because one of the you know superpowers that we like to that we've observed and, and call out, I call it the, you know the power of and, right? It's it's manufacturing and and uh, robotics. It's sensors and you know electrification, and so I think that that's an an interesting point here of why maybe. Something like intelligent infrastructure can be a Austin special sauce is because we have that spread of industries that are also used to having these kind of interesting, whether it's technology crossover, business model crossover, talent crossover is a very Austin type of thing. It's, it's very Austin. It's, it's very Texas. And I'd say that, trust me, there's innovation across the U.S. So, so this is when, when it comes to the actual technology and the implementation, it's not necessarily, oh, it's all going to happen in Austin. But the one thing we have in Texas is we like to build. We like to actually go out and get away from the keyboard and actually um, build physical things. And um, the, the fact that you know, companies like Tesla have come in, it's really magnified the interest we have as, as a city and a state to embrace industry 4.0 and build physical systems and leverage really advanced technology and software. And um, I think that, that's what gives us the advantage and what really sets us up to be the first to implement a large scale deployment of intelligent infrastructure to meet community needs. It's, it's not, once again, it's not about the technology, it's about what this is gonna do for the communities. And a lot of it, intelligent infrastructure, even though it can serve incredible use cases like autonomous shuttles in regions, Day one, it might just be getting broadband across the entire city. So we no longer have kids at home not being able to access schools. Yep. So I want to dive into the details a little bit here. We, you've got two pilots going on right here in Central Texas. Can you describe them? You know, where are they located? How are you partnering? What are they? Yeah. So the, the, the first um, deployment will take place at, on Camp Maybury, which is with the, the Texas Military Department. And the second you hear us talk a lot about is um, on down SH-130, and that's in major, major collaboration with the Clean Energy Tech Center um, that's, that's right on um, SH-130. The, the Texas Military Department, we've been working with them for over four years um, because they see the, a lot of the use cases really helping them with disaster response, emergency management, public safety, and just meeting community needs after you know, disasters. And, Having resilient communication, um, being able to leverage a more resilient supply chain during a disaster is, is ideal. And this infrastructure you know, satisfies those, those needs. They also are opening up 
you know, in this Camp Mayberry uh, deployment that's that's right there on, on on Mopac, it will support many city and state agencies. So it's 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 a it's going to be a, a petri dish of collaboration and um, allowing a lot of um, testing take place. On SH-130, you know, we have, you know, multiple, you know, truck companies, shuttle companies, rovers and drones, and even autonomous lawnmowers that will be deployed. And it's all about getting infrastructure deployed and getting the test data and the, the resilience of the systems that um, show that these can actually move directly to commerce um, because our, our main mission of the Autonomy Institute is path to commerce. How can we accelerate you know, the nation forward starting here in Austin to get these systems deployed? And um, there's a lot of details we can share about the, it, actually there's more than just, there's about four different um, you know, projects that are developing in Austin. The other thing I'd say is we actually don't call them POCs or pilots because it, it's kind of like you, you can't you can't test interstate highways by laying three three miles of concrete and asphalt down saying hey it doesn't work I guess I guess we need to go back to the drawing board and over the last ten years and we've heard about smart cities and and all that and we have a library of Congress of data proving the value of resilient communications and you know sensors at the edge to you know address Vision Zero applications. It just solving that real estate challenge and having something that is evergreen, something that allows technology to be rolled out over time and replaced over time. So let's dig into the details a little bit. Start with the Camp Mayberry. What is the actual infrastructure that is being put in and built to be able to allow this kind of disaster uh, resilience and the like? I think all of, uh, most people have actually probably seen small cells, you know, deployed, you know, the city of Austin has small cells being deployed by like um, uh, AT&T. Think of it as it, it looks like a smart pole, but the key concept of what's being deployed on um, Camp Mayberry is about 21 of these pins, public infrastructure network nodes will be deployed and it will allow various testing of different types of wireless networks, different types of sensors, whether it be LIDAR or radar or cameras, different types of compute. And um, what that does is provides the resilience in the network that has to be there for these 21st century applications. Um, as, as much as we hear that 5G is about downloading Netflix really fast and you see these commercials, it's about enabling these resilient systems and safe and and providing you know safety devices um, to you know whether it be transportation or you know manufacturing or just supply chain logistics and that will all be um, the, the goal is initially like there's 12 um, pins down the main drive that will be um, you know part of the the process and that will allow significant demonstrations of the use cases that um, they're looking to to solve for. So I'm going to couch this by saying I'm not an engineer. You know, earlier you mentioned like that the problem we had was, you know, you put a box on a metal, you know, on a, on a wood pole and that wasn't enough. Walk me through the difference between the box on the, on the, you know, the wood pole and the pin and how that is better infrastructure going forward. So maybe start with the, the story. So let's just take it in a, a very simple context of broadband because all of us, everybody in the audience knows broadband now. I mean, just like we, we all know supply chain because of losing our toilet paper. But broadband was an initiative we've been trying to solve since 1996. So since 1996, we had a bill um, that we're going to solve broadband. Well, all we do every four to five years 
is realize we've fallen behind. Some neighborhoods don't have the proper access. They don't have enough speed. So we go out and get by the next widget and we bolt it and strap it onto a wood pole and say, oh, done, we're, we're finished, we're, we can you know, move on. And then of course, four to five years later, um, we're now our speeds and our you know, connections have to be upgraded again. So if you think about what, why did so much technology evolve over time so fast within data centers and equipment closets and all that, it's because a standard was developed by Bell Labs in 1922. It's called the 19 inch rack. And uh, it's just to, to the layman, all it is is a shelf <laughs> that everybody agreed to design their computers, their storage, their network devices too. And over the last 100 years, every single data center, every single equipment closet, every single roadside cabinet, every single cell tower leveraged that standard to um, deploy and upgrade you know, technology. So the data centers um, had an evergreen platform. You know, that was an evergreen platform that allowed them to continue to upgrade. And we need to have an um, evergreen platform on the edge, on the sidewalk to support these technologies of what needs to be installed today, tomorrow, and for the next you know, 30, 40, 50 years. So today the pins might be using 5G, but then in 10 years, I don't know the, the, the cycle time, they'll, you know, it's a, the equivalent of the 19 inch rack to just, instead of changing out the server, you're changing out, hey, now we've got 6G and 7G and on, on infinitum. Exactly. So instead of going out and strapping a, a, a steel strap around a wood pole and attaching a, a radio to it, um, it's all taking place inside of the structure. So it's, it's very, very similar to the way the 19-inch rack was designed, where it's conducive of plug-and-play uh, architectures and, and systems. And probably the biggest thing that the community is embracing about it is because aesthetically, it's going to clean up the uh, the streetscape immensely because you're not going to be looking at all these things. If you walk around city of Austin or really any city, you'll see wires and straps and all kinds of strange things hanging off all over the, the city. And that all goes away. It all um, over the next 10 years will all move indoors to these condos on the sidewalk. So if these two pilots, what's the time scale? What's the actual, um, you know, KPIs that you're looking at? And then what happens next? Um, it, it growth and and our, our goal is those will be the best places for city, state, and federal leaders, state DOT, um, you know, people to come and touch and see and and kind of you know get uh, comfortable with it. But the goal is to get many P3s, public-private partnerships, established for large-scale projects to take place, and by 2023 have what we call the intelligent infrastructure commerce you know, passed, which would allow an all 50 state build out. So it's, it's not that, oh, if this is gonna happen, if the, no, it's, it's, it's gonna happen and it's gonna happen whoever moves you know, the, 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 the quickest. And right now, the early partner that collaborated with the city of Austin um, almost six years ago on their um, small cell platforms, they've already deployed over 500 equivalent pins in Denver and they just won um, a deal with New York City, where it'll be up to 5,000 um, of these um, put into the downtown city of uh, New York. So how well have we been working with the city of Austin? One of the things that we also talk about is, you know, we're, we're living in the future, right? And what that really means is both from your point as a technology, but also deployment. So when I look at the Camp Mayberry, I'm assuming this is, you know, this is actually Texas State, not Austin itself. 
but then the I-30, I think, is probably closer with the, the city. How, how has that been working with the, you know, the city government and being able to really do that public-private partnership and deploy here? Well, I think I think that's that's been the, the the biggest challenge. Not because they're I mean we're dealing with over two hundred individuals um, in the city of Austin alone, and in, incredible collaborators, people that really want to, to you know see this happen. And I think there's you know early on there was a lot of confusion about oh wait is this is this a technology is this you know what is this? So it took um, time, very similar to what happened with even interstate highways to to understand the concept understand it was far more about a public private partnership and collaboration with industry. And it was critical to have collaboration with the city and the state to then work with the communities because this has to be community led. This is not about the city doing something or the state doing something. It is about us seeing the value of this infrastructure, meeting my needs in my community meeting my needs in my city and my needs in the, the states and how can it really magnify these, these 21st century applications and impacts on our personal lives. So we're going through a massive change right now in infrastructure. We've got, you know, Project Connect, the multi-billion dollar initiative. How are you, we kind of, are they playing nice together as we're trying to build out both, you know, we want to be a forward, you know, thinking uh, initiative. So how's that working? I, I think it'll go over extremely well because number one, these two are very complementary to each other. Um, and we met very early on with the CEO of Project Connect, you know, the, and unfortunately he's now moved to, to Washington. But, um, you know, Randy really had an incredible vision. He saw, number one, the, the value of intelligent infrastructure and how it could and provide rich services uh, to the people that were using Cap Metro and really expand um, the, the, the user base. And he wanted to lead um, with the intelligent infrastructure. And I think there's a lot of um, designs and plans on how systems like this will be deployed at like bus stops and at the, uh, the different uh, uh, locations for the light rail. The other thing that this intelligent infrastructure will do today that is complementary to, to our mobility challenges is just optimize. Like by having this deployed in, in East Austin, as an example, we can now activate controlled locations where autonomous shuttles can actually pick up, you know, disadvantaged or elderly and move them around their community and, and back home where the greatest challenge that mobility districts usually have is manpower um, for buses and for um, operating, you know, small shuttles. And if all of a sudden now you can have an operation center where one person can be trolling and, and managing. Remember, this is human on the loop. It's not these things are out just doing whatever they want. These, these vehicles would be in control with an operation center that allows one person to control four, five, maybe even 10 you know, in the future um, shuttles to, to, to manage um, transportation more effectively. We talk a lot about innovation and the innovation ecosystem here in Austin. You've described the Intelligent Infrastructure Project as the equivalent of launching another MCC or Sebatec here in Austin. Now, we know that those programs had a, just a huge impact on the community. All you need to do is, is look at the roster of semiconductor companies here in Central Texas and how they're growing. Can you describe how this Intelligent Infrastructure Project is going to have the same kind of impact on innovation here in Austin? Well, 
first of all, uh, incredible respect for for what um, MCC and Semitech did for for the community. And um, actually, the Autonomy Institute, we spent a lot of time with uh, people like Admiral Inman early on um, back in 2018, realizing that this could not be done by industry. So a lot of lessons learned on, on what they did. I'd say it's it's clear that intelligent infrastructure will spawn the largest infrastructure build out in our nation's history, which we have to have because we are falling way behind on productivity as a nation. I'm not sure if you saw the article just last week. Our productivity output dropped to 1947. And then we're, we're looking at this massive explosion of obviously inflation and the, the price points. And the way you solve that is increasing productivity. So I think this, this intelligent infrastructure will spawn a nationwide build out to solve simple things like broadband and, and vision zero applications, but it'll also enable industry 4.0. It will create millions of new jobs. I mean, jobs that are exciting and it really help accelerate um, new technologies and services that we're not even thinking about um, right now because you know it's kind of like Uber. Nobody thought Uber was a thing. Um, but if it wasn't for the you know the iPhone and that infrastructure, it would have never happened. So I think Texas will lead the adoption with robotics and uh, autonomous you know, you know systems, resilient supply chains, and I think the the impacts it will have on employment, workforce development, and and businesses will be much larger than even MCC and Semitech. We spent a lot of time talking about the future and how we're going to get there with this intelligent infrastructure. What are the largest challenges to making this happen? Leadership with the community and government. So it's, um, I think, you know, industry with, we have over 200 industry partners involved. Industry understands the challenge. The elephant has to, you know, elephant in the room has to be addressed. And government sees it. Community wants to see the benefits of, of a cleaner, more resilient um, infrastructure. But the public-private partnerships for digital infrastructure have not happened yet. I mean, there, there might have been small pockets for like Wi-Fi in certain cities, but but something like this has not been done. So I think the biggest challenge is realizing that as a community, we have to be part as a all the, the government entities, we have to be a part. And without that collaboration, we're, we're not going to see Austin leading, you know, this um, it, it, it'll happen. It might happen somewhere else. But um, I do come back to your earlier comments so that Austin is very uniquely positioned to lead the charge and make it happen and, and become the ones that did the reference architecture that can be repeated everywhere across our nation. So we always like to end the podcast with the same question. What's next, Austin? So, so where is the puck going? Once again, I go back to your earlier comments is we like to build. So I think um, what, what's going to happen in Austin is we're going to embrace more and more the physical world, uh, more about how um, software technology can impact the physical world. And I, I think if you think about if intelligent infrastructure scales and we start to see autonomy you know, you know, scaled across um, you know, the United States, I think the singularity will all point back to it happening in Austin first. That's an interesting uh, future to look forward to. Yeah. Jeff Deku, founder and CEO of the Autonomy Institute. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And I appreciate it. And I hope you guys keep on um, getting this great content up. Thanks very much. So what's next, Austin? We're glad you've joined us on this journey. Please subscribe at your favorite podcast catcher. Leave us a review and let your colleagues know about us. This will help us grow the podcast and continue bringing you unique interviews and insights. 
Thanks again for listening and see you soon.